Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, whether it's positive or negative, the Findlay Police Department wants your feedback. We have details on the annual FPD Citizen Survey and how your critique can help make the community a better and safer place. Also this morning, frivolous lawsuits and abuse result in over $284 billion in wasted legal costs annually, yet tort reform remains an elusive issue. Can the system be fixed while still protecting the rights and responsibilities on both sides? And ho, 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 Kahuna's All-Star Christmas Jam is back. It's a night of great music and holiday spirits to benefit the local Toys for Tots campaign. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. So this is actually substantial news. Uh, researchers at Shinsu, Shinshu University in Japan have found that if you have a negative view of yourself, the bad things you believe could very well come true. If you think it, it will be so. Uh, they say the way that you speak about yourself in the present influences the way you will see yourself in the future. People with psychiatric disorders, including major depression, tend to hold negative self-schema, such as, I am incompetent or I am a loser in life. They have those thoughts in their head, and it uh, actually makes the depression worse. Um, and the way in which people perceive themselves is sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You've heard that, that term before, self-fulfilling prophecy. There is such a thing. Research also found that events from a person's childhood can have a lasting impression on their life by altering the way they view themselves, essentially creating that self-fulfilling prophecy. They become the things that people believe about themselves, uh, and it says self-love seems like the key to having fewer faults. According to these researchers, if you're struggling, just try and change your self-image. So really... Uh, some good advice there. Uh, what you what you believe, what you think about yourself, uh, becomes about yourself. Self love seems to be the key to having fewer faults. So, okay, good news. Uh, what else is uh, going on? This was kind of interesting. I saw this on the uh, on the newswire. Some sad news here this morning. The man who coined the phrase "If you see something, say something" has passed away. Now. That is like the mantra that you hear um, all the time from law enforcement. You see, you hear it, you hear about it in schools and airports. So that if you see something, say something. And uh, that was the turn of phrase created by 77-year-old Alan Kay, an advertising executive who lived in New Jersey, who passed away last week. He wrote the slogan after the September 11th attacks. Um on the World Trade Center. He told the New York Times he was very proud of what the slogan has done and what it has become in our society today. You see something, say something. The guy who created that uh, catchy turn of phrase has become the mantra of the modern age has passed away. Uh, this uh, is very interesting because, of course, we're coming into the cold and flu season, right? We're getting into the uh, winter season, and as the winter chill sets in, uh, 
many of us are reminded that we, well, how many times, you know, maybe your, your parents would say this or a teacher would say this or even a boss will say this, coworker will say this. Uh, don't go out without a coat. You'll, you'll catch cold. And for years, it has been uh, believed or it's been said that cold weather doesn't necessarily lead to you catching a cold. Um, that's not the way it works. But maybe it is. A new study has discovered that immune responses within the nose become more dormant when cold weather takes over. Immune responses within the nose. Researchers found that when the temperature drops by even 9 degrees Fahrenheit, half of the virus and bacteria-killing cells that live inside of your nostrils will die. Half. So, just a 9-degree drop in temperature and you have half the protection against colds and flu as what you normally would. That's also why wintertime... Well, one of the reasons why, one of many reasons why, uh, wintertime is a more common time of the year for colds and flu. You can get a cold, you can catch the flu any time of the year, but during the cold weather, it's more prominent, and this is one of the reasons why. Uh, The scientists also found, and this is the part that I thought was kind of interesting, the scientists also found that the warmer we keep our noses, the more cells fighting off bacteria and viruses survive. So, covering your nose with a scarf or, or a mask or, you know, a full-face uh, cap, something like that, covering up your nose can protect you from getting a cold. And thus, by extension, being cold can actually lead you to catch a cold because when your body is cold... Your nose is cold, and when your nose gets cold, the virus and bacteria-killing cells in your nasal cavity die off. And uh, so, uh, because I I am as guilty of this as anyone, my mom used to tell me, don't go outside without bundling up, you'll catch a cold. And I'd I'd tell my mom, that's not the way it works. Well, maybe... Maybe mom was right after all. eh? How about that? I've come to find out in the course of my five decades plus on Earth that, yeah, mom was right about pretty much most things. That is, even the things that you would think you could disprove with science. Turns out mom was right about all along. Uh, Big news here. A California startup company is promising a flying car. Now, I know we've heard this before, but uh, Aleph Aeronautics from the San Francisco Bay Area says they will start delivering their flying car, their Model A flying car to customers by the end of 2025. So that's just a couple of couple, three years from now, by the end of 2025, uh, they are already taking deposits from potential customers. It costs only $150 to get on the waiting list and just $1,500 for a, a priority spot on the, on the waiting list, for a priority spot. Now, the vehicle itself costs three hundred grand. so <laughs> 
before you get too excited about this, the CEO of the company, Aleph Aeronautics, says building a flying car is actually no more complicated than building a Toyota Corolla, which I don't know. Aleph Aeronautics doesn't build Toyota Corollas, so I don't know how would they know, but they say it's not that much more difficult to build a flying car than it is a conventional car or a conventional airplane for that matter. But by the end of 2025, we'll have flying cars. What I wonder is, how will they be powered? Will it be gasoline? Will it be electric? Because if it's gasoline-powered, it's going to have a very short lifespan. Because aren't they going to like ban gasoline cars, internal combustion engines or something, here in the next decade or, or some such? Um, so, I think it would almost have to be an electric vehicle, wouldn't it? And anyway, speaking of... Uh, Flying things, the last Boeing 747 is being, uh, well, is rolling out of the Boeing factory in Washington State this week. I'm not sure whether it was yesterday or today, uh, but the last Boeing 747 will roll off the assembly line. It's not really an assembly line for, you know, big, huge Boeing jetliners, but you get the idea. The plane was built for Atlas Air, which is slated to take delivery in the early part of 2023, which uh, makes the lifespan of the 747 more than 50 years. The first airplane of its kind entered service in January of 1970. Even though the end is here for the 747 program. John Sutter, the grandson of the late Boeing aircraft designer, Joe Sutter, uh, tells news reporters the legacy will live on. And it is. It was, it was like the, the queen of the skies, the 747, a very distinctive uh, airplane. And uh, they built the last one of them. I was thinking that they built the last 747 a couple of years ago. I seem to recall that we were talking about that. But apparently... Um, they well, I know the 747 passenger jets are all but gone now. Um, they're not uh, totally history. I think there are a handful of passenger 747s that are still in use. But by and large, I think most of the passenger 740s, or maybe they all have been. Maybe that was the story uh, a couple of years ago that the last 747 passenger jetliner was being retired. I don't know. They still use them for cargo, uh, as cargo planes, shippers, and and uh, that kind of thing. But uh, but yeah, it is definitely the end of an era uh, in air, uh, aerospace or aeronautic travel. The end of the seven forty seven. And uh, lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, kind of interesting. Uh, Sports Illustrated has named their Sports Person of the Year. And don't you want to know who it is? Uh, Golden State Warriors superstar Steph Curry is the second time that he has earned the honor, joining all-time great athletes like Tom Brady, LeBron James, and Tiger Woods. Um, it was a big year for uh, Steph Curry. He won his fourth NBA championship in eight years, earned the first Finals MVP award of his career, also earned his long-awaited degree in sociology from Davidson College in North Carolina, where he 
uh, attended before uh, being drafted into the NBA and now being named Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year. So it's another one of those year-end lists. Want to make sure that uh, you are up to speed on. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly cloudy skies, can be expected today with a high of 50, mostly cloudy tonight, a low of 38. The Finley Police Department says it continues to seek improvements in the quality of services it provides to the people of Finley and Hancock County. And that's why the police department is asking people to fill out the 2022 citizen survey and share their opinions about the police department. The survey is anonymous and the police department says it'll help them place resources where they're most needed while addressing concerns of residents. The survey takes only about five minutes and we have a link to it on our website. Someone is definitely on the naughty list after stealing a Northwest Ohio Santa's truck and other gear. In Toledo, one of Santa's helpers woke up to find his truck full of gear and props stolen right from his driveway. Jeffrey Heft, a professional Santa Claus, says that after returning from an event over the weekend, he parked the truck in his driveway. It had custom-made Santa suits, reindeer, and a one-of-a-kind sleigh worth thousands of dollars inside. Have said the thief will be getting cold this year. Tracy Townsend, ONN. Ohio hunters found a lot of success in the woods during last week's deer gun season. Sunday marked the end of Gun Week 2022, during which hunters bagged about 72,000 white-tailed deer. According to the Ohio Department of Wildlife, hunters checked over 26,000 bucks, 36,000 does, and 8,000 button bucks. The second half of the deer gun season begins the weekend of December 17th and 18th. Eric Brown, ONN News. Ohio Treasurer Robert Sprague of Finley says the Ohio Market Access Program, administered by his office, has helped the village of Cary enter the market and save an estimated $32,000. Sprague says as borrowing costs continue to rise, the program helps local governments stretch their dollars when they invest in community projects. Get more on the program on the website. The Putnam County Sheriff's Office says the 2022 Shop with a Cop was a big success. The Sheriff's Office says the kids had a blast shopping and playing games with local law enforcement officers. Coming up this weekend in Findlay will be the Fort Findlay FOP Foundation's Cops and Kids Go Shopping event. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So it is that time of year again uh, for better or worse whether it's positive or negative the Findlay Police Department wants your feedback the annual FPD citizen survey is out there now your critique can help make the community a better and safer place crime prevention officer Brian White is with us uh, in the studio this morning. Brian, thanks very much for uh, for dropping by. Good As, morning, Chris. Thanks for having me. This is an annual thing. You do this uh, yes, uh, every sir. year. And um, talk a little bit about what you hope to glean from the survey, what some of the uh, questions uh, are, what people will see on the survey. Sure. A, a lot of times what we're talking about is just repeats from the previous years because that's how we get a gauge, right, on mm-hmm. what has changed, what has not. Uh, the survey is pretty simple. I mean, there's about eight demographic questions where it's just kind of who you are. And yeah. and sometimes people fill those out. Sometimes they don't. Don't feel like you have to. And there's about 16 assessment questions. And those are kind of the, the nit and gritty. Um, did you have an encounter with an officer? What was the type of encounter? Mm-hmm. Did you have a positive encounter or a negative one? Yeah. Right. We want to know that. And where we really get our good information, uh, like you mentioned, gleaning information, 
that comes from the final questions at the end, which is more of a fill in the blank. Um, do you have an experience you can share with us? Do you have uh, information about a call that you interacted with an officer mm-hmm. or even recommendations that you might have? Mm-hmm. And, and then how is that information put to use? Sure. Uh, for instance, a lot of times what we see is uh, traffic related issues, uh, sometimes on South which, Main Street, which makes sense. Fifth that's, Avenue. That's yep. where most of us uh, have our uh, interactions with police, yep. I think, in most cases. Yep. Absolutely. And, and from a... a yes or no question, or did you have a positive interaction or not? We don't really get those details from those questions, but someone might say, well, on our street, we have a lot of uh, vehicular traffic, car speeding at certain times of day. And that allows us to focus our attention on those particular areas. That's just one example. So uh, obviously there have been a lot of stories uh, in the news in recent years about uh interactions public interactions with police and the way those encounters uh happen sometimes uh they are much less than than positive i guess that would be something that you're not necessarily immune from but at a a, uh fortunately we haven't had uh, really a a high number of those types of incidents but it's something that you're cognizant of and always have to be aware of and and that's something that we expect to see in the results right Uh, a lot of times we're going to have people that either had a very positive experience Mm -hmm. and they want to share that or someone that had a very negative experience and they want to share that as well. Generally, that's kind of the answers that we see. Uh, a lot of the in-between answers, uh, that's where, again, where we get a lot of that good information of, you know, well, this interaction wasn't the best, but it came out in a positive way. Uh, this is how things can be done better. Mm-hmm. So we, we do expect to see the negative as well as the positive. And, and uh, to that end, uh, to what extent does this uh, impact uh, sort of like training and procedures and, and that kind of thing moving forward? Sure. Every year we do uh, department training. Uh, usually it's uh, in the spring and fall. Uh, that's when we do a lot of our uh, training with officers. And a lot of this is kind of integrated into it as well. For instance, just public relations. We know that uh, we are a service industry. We don't really think about it, right? Because a lot of times safety services is the necessary evil. We have to have it because if something happens. Right. But we are providing a service, even if it's an officer that goes out to a call, it just explains the reporting process or information on how to go about handling this type of call or a simple vehicle broken down on the side of the road, uh, getting a hold of a tow truck to come out and help someone yeah. and providing assistance while there. It, it, it's uh, probably a good point and, and worth uh, exploring, pointing out that how often do the responses here, uh, what you learn from these surveys, uh, lead to not necessarily a change in procedure but uh, or, or uh, something like that, but uh, indicate maybe there needs to be a better explanation or mm-hmm. a more uh, openness or something along those lines to explain to the public this is why things are done the way they are. Absolutely, and that's something that we take for granted as officers when we respond to calls. Sure. We are so used to the same old, same old every single day. Yeah. And the average citizen might not know that this is the process for handling this type of situation. Mm -hmm. We as officers kind of take that for granted. And that's good to see in these uh, surveys as well. I I think that would be true. You could say that about any uh, business or, or as you said, uh, any service industry uh, in particular. This is... Um, and at the same time, you also uh, can at uh, at some point uh, find, well, this is the way it's always been done, but is that the best way of, of doing things? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. In government, we find that a lot, right? <laughs> uh, we've just been doing the same old, same old for the longest time. Maybe yeah. it's time to change something up. So uh, the survey... Uh, 
you get a lot of, of good information here from the survey uh, each and every year. Um, how do folks uh, participate and give us all of the details? Sure. On this. Uh, there's a couple different ways. Uh, we do have it on our social media. So that's probably the easiest way. Someone can go on our Facebook page or Twitter accounts and they can uh, access the survey from there. It's on a Google Doc. Uh, one of the things you have to do with Google is uh, you have to have some kind of email account that is not tracked by us. We don't have it set to record that information. Yeah, important to point out that uh, even though they know, Google knows, right? but Google knows everything, um, that's not something that you get. So it is we, anonymous. We, we do not track it. Yeah. It is an anonymous. We have no way of getting a hold of that information, nor do we mm-hmm. e- even want it. Yeah. Right. Uh, but that's one way. There are concerns about that. I totally understand. So if that's a concern, someone can come into the police department, the front desk, they can pick up a copy there. Uh, they can also go on our website and they can download it directly from there, uh, print uh-huh. it out, mail it in, drop it off, whichever they want to do. And when will you close? I mean, is there? there's obviously a window for sure. uh, responses. Uh, we leave a pretty wide window. Uh, we're going to close it on uh, December 30th, which is a Friday. So essentially, okay. you have the entire month of December to fill it out. Between now and the end of the year. And then how long does that take to sort of uh, process compile. all of that, compile the information, and then uh, present it to the officers? And how is that right. done? And, and that's probably the biggest uh, challenge and time-consuming, right, is compiling the data. Yeah, from there, it gets moved over to our uh, police administration, eventually city administration, and then it kind of filters its way back down, which uh, that's another good point to make is that a lot of times administration, um, uh, the higher officers uh, are really not out on the streets a whole lot seeing uh, these calls firsthand. So this is another good way that they can kind of find out and get that gauge for what's going on. And uh, as you mentioned, this will then be incorporated uh, into the training and such that you will do most likely coming up toward the spring. Correct. Yep. Spring or fall, whichever it kind of falls or aligns with, depending on what training topics we have to cover. We also have the link uh, to the survey at our webpage at goodmornings.net. So you can check that out online. And again, just sometime takes about five minutes between now and the end of the year. Yeah, it's uh, pretty simple. It's just uh, click, right? Um, So we got those eight demographic questions, 16 assessment questions. uh, So you just fill in the box. Uh, really shouldn't take much more than five minutes of your time unless you want to fill out that uh, additional information at the end. Yeah. And again, that's really good information at us. And also, I should point out that uh, at most events where we have an officer, uh, such as Coffee with a Cop, we will have these surveys with us there as well that someone can take home. Very good. And uh, again, it's a way to help make the community a, a better and a safer place. And how often does it, I mean, I think, again, with any business uh, or any industry where you're asking for feedback uh, from the public, sometimes it's hard not to take that personally. Uh, Sure. Um, (laughs) You know, that – so – that's that's got to be something that uh, again you have to kind of step back and and think uh, outside of yourself a little bit to yeah absolutely sure no, no one wants to hear from uh, everyone that they're doing a poor job or a yeah. bad job but uh, we have to understand that uh, you know not everyone uh, thinks that we're doing a great job <laughs> right right <laughs> Uh, but again, uh, the uh, survey, the citizen survey, open now to the uh, end of the year, and uh, folks can check that out online. And again, uh, Crime Prevention Officer Brian White with us uh, this morning. Brian, thanks very much for dropping by. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Chris. 
Tort reform is a topic that is periodically in the news, and with good reason. According to the American Tort Reform Foundation, frivolous lawsuits and abuse of the system results in over $284 billion in excessive legal costs annually. Tiger Joyce of the American Tort Reform Foundation is with us this morning. You recently put out a year-end list of the top judicial hellholes in the country, so no mincing words about this. First off, what is a judicial hellhole by your definition? Uh, Chris, well, thanks for having me on. Um, A judicial hellhole is a jurisdiction, could be a city, a county, or even an entire state where we believe that the civil litigation system just is inherently unfair and imbalanced uh, when it comes to the uh, prerogatives and uh, uh, the way they impact, uh, in particular, uh, defendants, uh, businesses in these, and, and doctors and others in, in, these, in lawsuits. Uh, and, you know, I'm here in Washington, D.C., and a couple miles away from where I am, the Supreme Court of the United States, has on its facade uh, the the term equal justice under the law, uh, and we believe that that in in judicial hellholes that that uh, that goal and 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 that those important words uh, simply are not in play are not in effect uh, in the hellholes and for reasons that we highlight uh, in great detail uh, in the context of our report of the particular jurisdictions and also some underlying broader issues. So bring this down to the individual level. Why should I be concerned? Why should it matter to me if my state, my entity is uh, on this list? How does it really affect me personally? Well, I think it's I think it's easy to think of the legal system as something that only affects lawyers and judges and the people who are directly involved. But the reality is, uh, that the civil justice system is, it's one of the foundations, uh, of our system of government. Uh, but it also affects everyday people, whether they are business owners, uh, consumers, they could be physicians, uh, anybody, uh, is impacted. Uh, the, the excesses of the system, uh, are, are directly, co- uh, come out of the, 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 the pockets, uh, of American consumers. Uh, the, the excesses also impact, uh, the creation of jobs. Uh, the excesses impact state governments and their, and the revenue that they're able to, uh, to generate. So when you look at those, those factors alone, you write, you see that this isn't just some academic or legal matter. It's a matter that's a, it's a policy set. It's a set of policy issues and challenges, uh, that affect every single person particularly those in the hellhole jurisdictions, but really everybody in this country is impacted by uh, the excesses of lawsuit abuse. This type of abuse of the system, is this a uniquely American problem? And I ask because one of the arguments from consumer advocates is that tort reform, which many don't necessarily oppose on principle, needs to come with more stringent protection for the public, similar to what you see in Europe in particular. So I'm wondering, do you see this in other countries, or is this a uniquely American problem, and does it go beyond just simple tort reform itself, or is that just one element of a broader solution? Well, I think that that we have a system that allows individuals to have their day in court, and that's important. That's a foundational 
uh, part of our of our system. And, and there can be arguments about uh, regulation and 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 what role, for example, a cons- say a state attorney general might want to have or should have mm-hmm. in terms of protecting consumers. We have. Uh, over a hundred years ago, well over a hundred years ago, the Federal Trade Commission was established to protect consumers from fraudulent uh, um, uh, uh, marketing. Uh, so, the, and, and achieving the right balance there is something that that you know we we think we understand and, and think that's important. But when it comes to litigation, and, and I, we we don't have extensive uh, uh, comparisons, say to the you know, to other, um, to other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the simple fact is that our system, which is what we look at too often is too expensive, serves the interest too much of the lawyers, uh, who are involved in yep. the system, uh, and doesn't serve the interests of, of the parties. Uh, a perfect example, uh, is a study that was done by the Jones day law firm. Uh, looking at so-called consumer class actions. These were meant to protect consumers, right. to compensate them for uh, for losses that they suffered. But according to Jones Day, uh, over 90% of the consumers who were represented got nothing. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen it, you know, it didn't unfortunately make it into our report because it was after the, uh, after we went to press, but this case involving uh, the Kraft mac and cheese where the allegation is that the three and a half minute preparation yeah, we were. Uh, was, was, was inaccurate and that somehow people uh, who, who purchase it had been damaged. Well, what sort of injury have yeah. they suffered? We, we were and talking so about when that. you look at those types of cases, yeah. And, and it's a perfect example. Um, and, and, you know, we can laugh about it and think it looks ridiculous, but the reality is a, you know, craft has to defend themselves. So back to the, uh, list of the, uh, top judicial hell holes in the country, as you're mentioning earlier, which jurisdictions made this year's list? Sure. This year, the, the number one judicial hell hole for the first time was the state of Georgia. Hmm. Uh, they've been on the list previously. Uh, but this year they were uh, driven to that literally uh, by a $1.75 billion award against Ford uh, in a truck rollover case. Tragically, the, uh, the case involved the death of, of two individuals. But in a, among a number of, of, of concerns with that particular case uh, was the fact that the, uh, the, the driver and the passenger uh, were, while they were wearing their seatbelts, uh, they were wearing them improperly. They didn't function as they should have and, and, and would have if, if, they, if, uh, if used properly. Um, I mentioned that because the jury was not told that. Georgia law didn't mm. allow uh, the disclosure of misuse of seatbelts, and that's a reform that we think is necessary. The number two jurisdiction is a combination of the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania and the Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas. Uh, that is a court that has become one of the major areas of focus for the so-called mass tort cases, these mega lawsuits, multi-district litigation in, uh, uh, in, in, in mass tort cases against major businesses and industries. Number three is California. Number four is New York. Number five is Cook County, Illinois. And number six is within South Carolina, specifically asbestos litigation, which has become, uh, uh, contrary to the, uh, uh, the trend in the rest of the country, is exploding 
in that state, uh, and we have we identify significant problems with the way those cases are being administered. Uh, number seven is Louisiana, and number eight is St. Louis, Missouri. Hmm. Um, so. What needs to change, and this is kind of uh, going back to the question I asked earlier, what, what needs to change so that we uh, don't, uh, so that we can eliminate these judicial hell holes and get back to a more reasonable, because some of the, the examples that you cite there are, are perfect examples of uh, things that start out with maybe uh, on the surface the best of intentions and, and certainly uh, worthy legal cases, but then take a left turn along the way and become abusive. So what needs to change so that we get back to doing what these lawsuits are ostensibly supposed to be doing in the first place and not going into the uh, range of being excessive? Yeah, that's a great question, and and I think there the the answer is is sort of multi part. There are multiple parts to it, but I I would say at the outset, there needs to be a recognition in these jurisdictions that there are problems. I mean, our purpose in highlighting and developing and 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 publicizing this report is simply to highlight the fact that these are problems, uh, because oftentimes, and you know, lawyers like to debate. Uh, but we think that the uh, the arguments that we make are compelling. But they're you know people reasonable people can disagree yeah. uh, uh, about those. But, but the, it begins with recognizing that there's a problem. I, I would say if we were to generalize, well, certainly in Georgia, an important reform uh, would be to ensure that that whether a seatbelt is used or misused uh, in a in a matter is something that a jury should be informed. Yeah. Uh, Seatbelt use is widely prevalent in this country. I think most people, even a lot of lawyers, would be surprised to know that, that that's not that it's not admissible uh, evidence, yeah. and that's something. Um, but I think at the at the at the more basic level, there are some broad themes. Number one, judges need to police their docket. They should only allow cases to be brought in their courts where the jurisdiction of the court is proper. I use the court of common pleas. It seems to be a come one, come all approach. I think in enforcing those rules, don't become uh, the, the, the forum shopping uh, uh, top judicial hellhole priority jurisdiction. Yeah. I think another issue that we see is expert evidence and judges need to properly police the uh, technical scientific information that comes in. Uh, and that's really the judge's responsibility. Uh, so-called, or what's I think pro- appropriately called junk science has no place in the courtroom, uh, and in particularly in complicated cases. Yeah. Um, and the last thing that I would mention is sort of a newer topic is is the role that uh, outside funders are playing in litigation. We call third party litigation uh, funding. Uh, you know, a lot of the advertisements that you see on TV are underwritten with uh, uh, funding that's provided by these litigation finance companies who take a uh, a financial interest in litigation. Uh, that is a relatively new development, uh, and certainly the issue of, of whether uh, outside parties should have a role or, or some impact on litigation is something that we think is highly problematic and, and merits mm-hmm. careful attention. But there are a variety of topics. Each jurisdiction uh, is different, but those that gives you an idea of some of the, the themes that we are seeing. Uh, I think that, that are, there is some prevalence. 
uh, of them across the country, especially in these hellholes. It is a a serious topic, a complicated topic, uh, but one that uh, needs more attention. Again, Tiger Joyce of the American Tort Reform Foundation. Tiger Joyce, thanks very much for taking the time, sharing your perspective. We appreciate it. Chris, thank you. Thank you so much. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. You know how... Some dogs uh, are just so easily excited. Do you have a dog like that? We have a dog like that at home. Our golden retriever is always in. Ever someone new uh, arrives at the house, especially, or even when we come home. I mean, she's all over, you're jumping up and down, and you know, she's all excited. People are here. Um, <laughs> well, sometimes when a dog gets overly excited, hilarity ensues. Uh, this uh, from Grimes, Iowa where firefighters responded to a false alarm after an excited pooch pulled the fire alarm at a doggy daycare facility. (laughs) Uh, Security camera footage uh, shows the dog named Birdie bouncing with glee before slamming down on the fire alarm accidentally and and triggering it, (laughs) prompting a massive response from the uh, local uh, fire department. The uh, doggy daycare uh, put a, a post on Facebook. Uh, it was one of those dog shaming posts where Birdie is wearing a sign that says, Dear Grimes Fire Department, I'm sorry that I pulled the fire alarm today. Sincerely, Birdie. <laughs> well, bless her heart. Uh, let's see. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, the odd and unusual side of this is definitely odd, definitely unusual. Uh, man arrested on vacation while on vacation in Florida. Man was arrested while on vacation in Florida for relieving himself in the ice machine at Jimmy B's Beach Bar. Uh, here's what makes this story really unusual is that the guy who was arrested is a cop from Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> According to the police report, the inebriated officer, obviously off-duty, is on vacation. The inebriated officer took his uh, public intoxication one step further by shoving a bar employee and security guard before being arrested for misdemeanor battery and disorderly conduct. The officer has been uh, was taken to jail. He bailed himself out. Uh, it says he has served as an officer for five years. Not sure if he's going to make it to six. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> conduct unbecoming, I think is going to be an issue when he gets back home, especially now that it's made national headlines. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, speaking of, uh, people doing very weird things. A man accused of crashing into a home in Utah while hallucinating. Police say Malcolm Lamar Van Buren uh, stole an SUV and then slammed it into a light pole and into someone's front yard. Uh, Court documents reveal the 26-year-old tested positive for methamphetamine and other drugs 
At the time of his arrest, the trooper who took him into custody said he was making strange statements about demons trying to kill him. Well, I mean, that's certainly understandable. I mean, when you hear those voices saying demons are trying to kill you, the first thing you think is, I need to get high, steal an SUV, and then slam it into someone's home. It's the logical response, right? <laughs> uh, man in, uh, let's see here. I'm not sure exactly where this is. This is a, uh, a man... He is recovering after accidentally shooting himself. Um, I don't know exactly where this is. Um, says police responded. Metro police responded about 1 a.m. Tuesday. They say a man was smoking marijuana and shot himself. <laughs> His condition is unknown. <laughs> uh, that's just not a good combination. <laughs> Man. Marijuana and firearms. Probably not a good time to mess with your gun. You're getting high. This is one of the most unusual thefts that we have ever had. I mean, we've had uh, unusual thefts in the broken news from time to time. But uh, this one is certainly very unusual. Um, and it comes out of Florida. So, I mean, surprise, surprise, comes out of Florida. I'm not sure where in Florida, just as in Florida. A man was under uh, was arrested for stealing $1,375 worth of toothbrushes from his local Walgreens. <laughs> First of all, why would you steal toothbrushes? I mean, is there a big black market for toothbrushes? <laughs> I mean, can some people not afford legitimate toothbrushes so they have to turn to the black market? Is that... Somebody come up, come up to you on the street. Hey, buddy, want to buy a toothbrush? Got them going cheap. Uh, but second of all, how many is $1,375 worth of toothbrushes? How do you steal? How do you sneak that many toothbrushes out of the store? Uh, but apparently the thief walked, uh, waltzed out of the store with uh, these toothbrushes, including about a half a dozen top-of-the-line electric toothbrushes, and then sped off in a white Lexus. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, I don't know whether uh, this guy's a professional thief or he's just, I mean, obviously well off. He's driving a Lexus, so did he really need to steal? The anyway, police caught up with him once the man was tracked down by the cops. He said he threw the stolen toothbrushes off a nearby bridge. So... He didn't even get to uh, get the chance to <clears throat> cash in on his ill-gotten gain there. It was just a bad day all the way around for this guy. Name not given in the report. And uh, lastly, in the broken news this morning, this is a crazy story, but a story with a happy ending. A rabbit from Texas is lucky to be alive after hitching a ride uh, last week, a woman took her SUV in for an oil change, and after the technician pulled the vehicle into the bay, he opened the hood and found a live rabbit in the engine. Uh, both the uh, both the animal and the employee startled each other, and then the rabbit hopped out and got away. Um, this happened just outside of San Antonio. 
Now, it's not uncommon for rabbits, rodents, cats even, to climb up under the hood of a car in order to keep warm on a cold night. Uh, but most of the time, uh, when the driver cranks up the engine in the morning, that's the end of the cat or the bunny or the squirrel or whatever. But somehow this uh, rabbit survived. <laughs> Probably wondered, what in the heck just happened here? My goodness. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile app for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. It's an interesting question. How many people do you have in your life that you can truly lean on for anything? I would think you would have to count your spouse or your significant other uh, among those. I would hope anyway. Uh, And then beyond that, your closest friends. It turns out that the average American has five individuals in their life that they have a strong enough relationship with that they feel they can truly lean on for anything. Five people. This is from a new survey gauging Americans' gratitude for the relationships in their lives. 2,000 Americans were surveyed here, and 7 in 10 are feeling more thankful for the people in their life this year than ever before. So what makes someone rise to that level? And you can lean on them for anything. 48% say it's someone who is trustworthy. 41% say it's a good listener. Uh, 33% say loyalty. And 74% agree that strong partnerships help simplify the complexities of life. 85% believe good communication is key to relationships of this kind. By the way, outside of their closest friends and their spouse, people say they have some of the best relationships, the best partnerships with their neighbors and their doctors. And nearly one-third of respondents who are employed say that one of their strongest partnerships is with a coworker. Well, it is back and it is happening tonight. Kahuna's 8th Annual All-Star Christmas Jam. And the big kahuna from our sister station, 106.3 The Fox, is uh, with us in our studio this morning, just a a short walk over from your new studio. Uh, We are literally next-door neighbors now. You can hit me with a spit walk and tell me to remind me to come back We can make faces at each other while we're on the air. Um, For those who don't know, and I know we've talked about this uh, in the past, but for those who are hearing about this for the first time, talk a little bit about the uh, backstory of how the uh, Christmas Jam came to be. Uh, many years ago, probably going about maybe 10 or 12 years ago, uh, we got the idea to put a bunch of, uh, of amps and a drum kit on the back of a trailer 
<laughs> and drive around and go to places and do Christmas carols, uh, rock and roll Christmas carols. Yeah, so a, a kind of a modern spin on the uh, idea of Christmas caroling. Correct. Yeah. And we had like amplifiers, uh, generator, mics, and PA, and speakers and everything. And we did that for about three or four years, and I realized how miserably cold and awful the weather conditions could be in this neck of the woods. And we decided we have to do something different. So we decided to do... Uh, a, a, a jam where we would invite more musicians to be involved and more importantly, do it inside where it was warm. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, along comes the tie-in with Toys for Tots. Correct. We just started to do it as, as kind of a fun thing to do. And then we thought, well, let's let's try to do some good with this. And so yeah. we, we we got with the Toys for Tots. We've, we've worked a lot with Toys for Tots over the years. And so we decided to give this an opportunity to raise money and or toy donations for the event and that's kind of what we've done every year and that's how it started uh, to get the musicians to want to be a part of it and they come from all over yeah that's true we have somebody coming in from fremont uh we've got some folks from over in putnam county and uh, it's really it, it started out as a great way to help toys for tots but now it's kind of become a family and yeah. we all look forward to being able to get together. It's cool the way uh, the word has spread yeah. uh, on this yeah. uh, over all the years. Good. Yeah, and uh, that's that's a good point. It's all just word of mouth. And hey, you know, I know somebody who might be interested. And do you want to participate in that? I would imagine. You know, we talk about the the local music scene as being sort of a tight knit community where everybody knows everybody. But I would imagine that there are some new friendships that have formed, oh, and, you know, out of all of this. So. Over the last eight years, uh, I've seen. At least four bands formed from people who've got cool. to say, "Hey, let's 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 do something on our own." And uh, and the other thing I like about it is that it brings people from different styles of music together, right? Because in the music world, a lot of times, like the rock guys will stick with the rock guys, and mm-hmm. the country people the same thing, and you intermingle everybody, and you get everybody's different talents and everybody different take on things, and it's a lot of fun. And so the. All-Star Christmas Jam is tonight at Alexandria's. They've done uh, been so gracious to, to yeah, host for the year, past. We've, we've had it there, and uh, it's a great opportunity uh, for uh, for us because it's a cool facility. Right. And you're right. They've been such fantastic hosts over the last eight years, and I can't think of doing this anywhere else. And uh, so give us all of the details on right. this. Doors open tonight at 5 o'clock. The show starts at 7. Um and we have uh, noticed over the last several years that people are getting there earlier and earlier and <laughs> tables are filling up sooner and or more and more. And uh, so I would suggest you get there fairly early to, get, to grab a table uh, and uh, sit back and relax. It will start the show at 7 o'clock. Well, we do two sets. We're doing 18 songs this year, including some Christmas songs. We're, it's getting harder to come up with Christmas songs we haven't done yet. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we're doing some Christmas songs. We're doing, and it's not all rock. We're doing some country. We're doing some pop. We're doing uh, uh, Love Shack. So, well, that's why I was gonna I was gonna ask what uh, what is the set list because it's not all Christmas no, music. That's yeah. correct. That's correct. We're doing about three or four Christmas songs this year. Uh, we're doing a couple of Blues Brothers tunes. Uh, we've got our horn <laughs> okay. section. That's the other thing that's kind of happened. It's kind of evolved. We now have the all-star horn section, and uh, we're doing five songs with our horn section this year. So you got your own little Tower of Power going yeah, on. that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And, you know, of course, horn sections are so cool. Everybody loves them. So we, yeah. that's another great part about it, too. So uh, who comes up with the uh, set list, and how, uh, talk about that process. Because, again, because you've got so many musicians with varying backgrounds, and, um, you know, some people may be more comfortable with certain types of music than others, you know, that's got to be kind of interesting to work that out. Well, just between you and I, Chris, uh, a lot of it is songs that I want to do. <laughs> it's 
songs that I like. Well, that uh, seems only fair since you're putting all of this together. <laughs> and uh, it's a matter of, uh, and I do open it up. I ask people for suggestions and you know, things along those lines, especially with Christmas songs. And uh, and so that's kind of how it started. Um, we're doing a Grateful Dead tune. I'm a kind of a Grateful Dead guy. I like the Grateful Dead, so we're doing Truckin'. That's one of the songs. We'll I was going to say that that's probably not on the Christmas set. No, I don't no, know that no, the Grateful Dead Christmas did a whole lot of Christmas no, tunes. I don't believe so. <laughs> And so that's kind of how it started. That bootleg great, Grateful Dead well, Christmas exactly. album. This is, I don't think we're going to have the tapers like they did at the Dead shows. But, uh, um, but that's kind of how it started. Something that would be fun to do. And then when you add the horn section, uh, Larry Mason, who is our director of our horns, um, uh, we got together in early September and went over a list of songs. He gave me about 40 songs that might be fun to do. And, mm-hmm. and we're like, oh, that would be fun. Well, yeah, fun. and that, that opens up the more uh, varied musicians. Uh, it opens up new possibilities of Absolutely. things to do. That Absolutely. So. And you uh, basically only get one rehearsal of yeah, this. Yeah, that's the other beauty. We, we post the list of songs that we're going to do, and I, I post videos. We have our own little Facebook uh, page. And I post the videos and ask people to sign up for what songs they would be interested in playing on or what instruments they'd want to play. Right. And then uh, we kind of assign them based on that. And then everybody's kind of responsible for learning the songs on their own. Mm-hmm. If they're anything special, like one of the songs has to be in a specific key because of the horn section. So you, you put that out there and then everybody just kind of practices and works it on their own. And then last night we had our run through with the PA guy, with uh, Jeff Bernard, who does our sound. And uh, we run it through, we do the song sometimes, twice, maybe if, if it's good the first time, that's all it gets. <laughs> and then uh, tonight will be the night we run it. And it's funny because we've seen, uh, there have been uh, nights when it went better in rehearsal than it did on the show night and vice versa. Well, I would imagine that that's part of the fun of it as well is because you've only had the one full rehearsal, you really don't Correct. know what's going to happen. And so. that's what we try to tell everybody because there's a lot of serious musicians that are playing. These guys and gals that have been bands all their life. Yeah. And that's what we tell them. We say, you know, this is fun. You get people who are lifetime musicians and then you get other people like myself who play along with records in their bedroom you know (laughs) and uh, so that's the beauty of it we try not to take it too serious we try to have a good time it's for a great cause and uh, you're right it's really flying by the seat of your pants and uh, again with the benefit toys for tots that's the admission uh is that well you know that's the other thing too when i started this i didn't i didn't want to be exclusive to anybody so i've always said there's never a cover charge never a cover charge it's an all-age show right but if you can Bring a new unwrapped toy. We have the boxes set up for drop-off boxes and or make a monetary donation to Toys for Tots. We put a guitar case out in front of the stage, so it's like a, a busking musician. Yeah. We just have 40 or 50 of us. And uh, it, that's really cool at the end of the night to see those boxes Absolutely. overflowing with the Absolutely. toys and the donations Absolutely. and all of that. So, so. that's kind of the, the, the point. That's the spirit of the event, the spirit of the musicians getting together. We want to try to be as inclusive with everybody, and that includes coming to see the show. If this is a tough year for you, come out and enjoy the music and enjoy the spirit of the event. Again, doors open at 5 o'clock. Uh, the music starts at 7. Kahuna's 8th annual Christmas jam at Alexandria's. Uh, the big Kahuna of 106.3 The Fox with us this morning. Looking forward to it. Kahuna, thanks very much. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. And that will finish up our podcast today. Again, thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And once again, a reminder, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, and that is goodmornings.net quick programming note for you it is another short week for us no podcast tomorrow or friday or monday or tuesday of next week taking another 
few days off, and we will be back one week from today, next Wednesday. Are you taking online security seriously this Christmas shopping season? A new survey by Norton finds an alarming number of us are not. So until next Wednesday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, good rest of the week, great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.